Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis-Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Jo Francis Penn, and in today's episode, we're heading for the Northern Territory of Australia as Dr. Amanda Markham talks about some of the Aboriginal dreaming stories of the area and how the vast landscape impacts living and working there, as well as the best places to visit if you're travelling. So Amanda is of Wiradjuri Aboriginal descent and speaks in Aboriginal language. So it's fantastic to get her perspectives on a part of Australia that I consider to be like the most Australian in many ways as we talk about. So Amanda and her husband have a site with lots of information at traveloutbackaustralia.com and you'll find lots more pictures, destination guides and ways to help you plan a trip if you are heading for the Northern Territory. So we recorded this episode before the bushfires that swept the country and I talked back in episode 20 about my own experience travelling around Australia and also living there and I also mentioned that it's the weather you have to watch out for, not the snakes and spiders and Amanda emphasises again how important it is to prepare for the reality of the outback and we also uh, talk about a few books, uh, recommend a few books that also emphasize this as well. It really is the the biggest part of Australia is the weather and the landscape. Uh, I mean, it's a huge country, sparsely populated in that particular area that we're, we're talking about. So both Amanda and I love Australia and particularly the Northern Territory. It's one of the places I would go back to. So I hope you enjoy the adventure in this episode. Dr. Amanda Markham is an archaeologist and anthropologist in the Australian outback, as well as a travel writer and award-winning author of speculative fiction. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, thanks, Joanna. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on the show. So your job sounds very cool. It's the type of thing like, you know, I always wanted to be an archaeologist. and But it's so interesting. People think, oh, archaeology, you must work in ancient Greece or Egypt. But you work in the Australian outback. So tell us, like, what does your job involve? Okay, so I guess I'll say that I've had kind of two careers working in the outback. As First as an anthropologist, I started as working in anthropology in 1997. And that was, I went to the Northern Territory to work for an agency, a government agency called the Sacred Sites Authority. And I worked specifically in the protection of Aboriginal sacred sites, working with Aboriginal elders, particularly over Central Australia, so the southern half of the Northern Territory, and I'll slow down a little bit for, for listeners who don't know where the Northern Territory is in Australia. It's kind of the middle uh, third of Australia, but the northern part. And it's got three very, very distinctive climate zones, um, one of which is the arid zone. And I don't want to call it a desert because we don't really have 
you know, true deserts in Australia. We do have arid zones, which are often vast savannas and rangelands. Then you have a subtropical area north of that. And then we have the tropics where they actually get a full monsoon up in the, and we call it here in the Northern Territory, we call it the top end. And that's where Darwin is. So, yeah, I went to the Northern Territory to be an anthropologist, work with Aboriginal elders, uh, recording and protecting their sacred sites, so their dreaming sites. You always, when people wanted to do any kind of work, so so they wanted to build a new road or go uh, do mining exploration, which is a very big thing across Australia, before they could do that, one of the permits they needed to do was to, to get their development or their approvals from the government was a sacred site clearance, a heritage clearance. I now, through that work, about 12 years ago, we lost our biological anthropologist. So the agency also was doing traditional, the identification and repatriation of of Aboriginal remains, so human remains. We lost our biological anthropologist because she'd fallen pregnant with twins and they asked me would I be interested in training in human osteology and forensic anthropology and I said yes and I ended up as an art do it going back after doing a PhD in anthropology and doing a master's in archaeology and I specialise in Abri- Aboriginal archaeology and I am of Aboriginal descent which is great and human remains. Uh, so that's a very long answer. No, that's fantastic because uh, you've you've actually opened up so many questions there. <laughs> well, let's. I I want to start with the human remains. So you are of Aboriginal descent, which is I think yes. uh, an, an important point. I think many people, when they think of Australia, they do have an idea about some Aboriginal people, but they don't necessarily understand the political situation. So it's great to hear that you're working in that, you know, as a with Aboriginal descent. But I want to ask about the remains, because I thought that Aboriginal people have a quite a specific thing about remains and images of of people who've passed on maybe you could explain a bit about that side of things since you mentioned the dreaming people might not okay. know these words okay so the the dreaming is is for one of a better word it's our religion but it's also like it I guess this might be a, a quite a complicated answer and I, you can edit it out <laughs> if it's too complicated so in the dream time, so if you, if I'll say a long, long time ago in the creation time, spirits walked across the land. Spirits, These spirits made everything. And as they walked across the land, they did things. So, for example, there might have been what we call a man who was also a dog spirit and he might have walked across the land and he, he decided he got tired so he sat down, he dug a little hole for himself to snuggle into and then he got up and then he saw, you know, he was hungry so he saw, you know, say a bush turkey and he went after the bush turkey and hunted down the bush turkey and ate it and that left a mark on the on the, on the the landscape. So if we go back to where he laid down, he dug out something, it might be like a little water hole, well, that becomes a sacred site. And even though the story, like you know the story of this particular dog spirit man he might have moved across hundreds of kilometers but everywhere he did something in the landscape he created something like a waterhole or or a rock you know a particular rock or a mountain range or something like that and he's still traveling through he's he's there forever and ever they leave a piece the dreamy ancestors leave a piece of their essence in the landscape and it's forever there and one of the things about aboriginal culture about about Aboriginal culture is that people who are born into those particular pieces of land are often re- seen as reincarnations of that particular piece of of the dream of a dreaming story, and they might even be reincarnations in some 
instances of the actual dreaming ancestor. But if the people aren't there on the land because the people are connected to the dreaming story, you know, they're seen as coming up out of that dreaming, Mm. um, they're given that spirit. If people aren't there on the land looking after the land and actually just being on the land and remembering the stories and, and telling the stories and sometimes singing the songs, the land gets sick, people get sick. So it's a it's it's a very holistic but very subtle kind of relationship and, and way of being. Does that is that too rambly and long? <laughs> no, no. I really, I really liked. I mean, and part of uh, when I travelled in uh, the Northern Territory, particularly, I think. I mean, obviously, there are places in Australia that have stronger. I mean, <laughs> you, we can't go too much into the colonial history, but I mean, if you're looking at sort of southeast, the southeast area where Sydney is, I mean, that area mm. to me feels like city Australia, whereas the Northern Territory yeah. to me is, you know, still is very outback, very. Mm. Um, lot, a lot more Aboriginal people living mm-hmm. in the Northern Territory. So what makes, what do you think makes the Northern Territory so Australian? Like, I think it's the most super Australian state. <laughs> okay, so it's kind of, it is a very different, so I moved, I'm originally from New South Wales, so I grew up just south of Sydney and I moved to the Northern Territory in 2000 and it's very laid back. It has its very own unique culture, which goes right through how business is done, how government agencies work. It's very So it's very laid back. It's Some people have, explained, have described it to me as how Australia used to be, say, in the 1970s. Mm. Then there's the, the, the big, so there's, you know, little group, there's a small population in a very big area. So yeah, the NT, Northern Territory is, I think you can fit Texas in Northern Territory twice. So it's very, it's one state, very big. And you've got this tiny little population of, you know, I think it's 250,000. Yeah, that's tiny, tiny population. So it's that, you know, expanse, a sense of isolation, a sense of this unique culture that is very, I don't I don't want to say pioneering, but it's very much, well, yeah, we'll just go ahead and do it. You know, we've come up with a great idea. It doesn't matter if we're the biggest government department ever, but somebody came up with a great idea. Let's not worry about all the red tape. Let's just go and do it. Mm. So <laughs> Can-do attitude. Can-do attitude. And, and a sense of, I guess, freedom because of the vast distances. So, you know, a lot of a huge, huge part of recreation outside of work in the NT is, is camping and going camping in these absolutely stunning places. So, yeah, just that, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, and I think what I particularly loved about it was kind of sleeping out there, as you say, in the arid zone. Let's not call it the desert. Um, no, but, you can call it desert. Yeah, so kind of, um, desert, and sleeping yeah. in swag, which is again an Oh, the swag, yes. Yes, yeah, so oh explain what a swag is. All right, I, should, I wish I had, if I had a camera, I'd take you out to our, our shed because we have... We have got everything from a queen size swag down to a motorbike swag. All right, so a swag, yeah, we, we collect swags. It's can, foam canvas, so foam, so like bed foam, and you put it inside a canvas, a waterproof canvas zip up bag. It's like a little bed. And then inside the canvas, you can either put in your Duna, duvet or, and your normal bed sheets or you can put your sleeping bag in there and it's basically like a bedroll you roll it up but swags are like they're, they're a part of the NT's culture 
as, mm. as much of a part as, you know, just driving up the road and driving up the road is, you know, we've gone driving 500 Ks. Yeah, driving for like 10 yeah. hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, just going up the road. Oh, where are you going? Tennant Creek. Oh, yeah, it's only five. Oh, yeah, we'll be there half a day, only 500 Ks, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing I really liked is that the red earth, which I feel, oh, and yes. obviously people, most people will know the uh, Uluru or once known as Ayers Rock, the big rock mm-hmm. in the middle, which mm-hmm. is that red colour. And you see a lot of pictures of that, that dark red. Mm. And I heard that it, well, one of the dreaming stories is that it was the, the blood of the creation snake. Is that a Northern Territory or is that a Western Australian myth? Uh, well, there's, the thing is with, with, so there's Aboriginal, there's, there's about you know, 600 different Aboriginal groups mm. and just around Alice Springs and Uluru, there's 11 different Aboriginal people and peoples. And I want you to think of it as Western Europe because these peoples are quite different and not all the same. So there's lots of snake dreamings. There's nine different dreaming stories and dreaming ancestors that uh, converge on Uluru. Now, Uluru is a culturally significant place, but it has about a dozen named sacred sites, which are particularly taboo sites for one way or another. And they've got a special, so so a sacred site in Aboriginal, in all of the languages in Central Australia, there is a special term for those sites. There are some snake dreamings, but it's, they're, they're, I guess the main dreaming are some of the lizard dreamings, the kunia, the malu, which is a kangaroo and various other oh there's two women dreaming which is the dreaming story that I've been so I've been through women's law for one of the dreaming stories that comes from Uluru and goes up um, to a place called Kings Canyon then comes back around into the McDonald Range. you can't see me I'm just waving my hand in the air chasing this <laughs> chasing the story but yes yeah, so I haven't heard that about the, the blood of the snake but you know I don't know every single you know, dreaming stories are like the layers of a, like an onion. So often women and tourists and outsiders will only get told, told that top layer and only the people that have been through, especially men that have been through various stages of Aboriginal law, ceremony business, can actually learn the inner layers of those, of those dreaming stories. Mm. Just, and, yeah. And so for people visiting, because I, I, when I visited, I learned a lot about this type of stuff that I just didn't know before I arrived. And, you know, given Britain's history with Australia, I should probably have known more. Like I feel I didn't know enough and I learned a lot. But I'm, what, what are the things that people can do to respect the Aboriginal culture which kind of goes beyond you know are there groups they can seek out or particular tourist things that are run by aboriginal people or you know what can they do which is kind of an authentic experience but also supporting the culture okay so there's just i will talk about what's around central australia for people to do so out of out just out of alice springs going to into the West McDonnell Ranges. There's a place called Stanley Chasm and they have cultural tours there that are run by the Arunda, the traditional owners, the Arunda elders who are the you know, custodians of that particular site. Go and do one of the cultural tours there. It's run by Aboriginal people. The other one is the, the Cave Hill Tours, which run out of Uluru and they take you about 110 kilometres out southwest of Uluru to a place called Cave Hill and you talk to the senior custodian there, an old man, 
and you get to you're actually on Aboriginal land, Aboriginal freehold land. So it's you know you can't usually it's not open to the public. It's only open there on a, on via this tour, and you get to go to a very important sacred site, which is what you know amazing rock art artwork there as well. And you spend the day with Aboriginal people getting taught. Um, you're shown bush tucker and eating a bit of bush tucker and learning all about culture. And then there's Kaka, which is another place that's right near just south of Kings Canyon in the same area. And they do, again, bush tucker and hunting and dreaming stories and just, you know, sit down and actually talk with Aboriginal people. So there, so that's the cultural tools at Stanley Chasm, which is west of Alice Springs, about 40 minutes west of Alice Springs. There's this Cave Hill Tours, which you can organise through See It Outback Tours, that's S-E-I-T Tours, and Kaka, which is which um, is actually a name in, in literature for, uh, for a crow because it's the sound that a crow makes, mm. and that's K-A-R-R-K-E. Oh, Fantastic. Yeah. And just for yeah. people who might not know, what is bush tucker? Oh, sorry, sorry. A bush, it's food, it's basically food that you find in the bush. So tucker is one of those Aboriginal, one of those Australian words for food. And bush tucker is, you know, Aboriginal foods in the bush, you know, like uh, witchetty, well, I'll say witchetty grubs, which I'm sure you know what witchetty grubs are, but they these are great big fat like caterpillars that you either dig up out of the roots of um, acacias, certain kinds of acacias, or you get them out of eucalyptus trees as well. And yes, I have eaten them. I've eaten all kinds of bush tuckers. There's lots of you know, berries and things that people eat. There's. Mm, I was going to um, say, yeah. like when when I did one of those tours, uh, we didn't eat any grubs, but we did have some berries, and they um, crushed certain leaves so you could smell the mm, the so different herbs. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's fab there's you know like eremophila bushes, emu bushes, which have this very pungent smell that they use. You know they they will use for getting rid of colds and chest coughs and things like that as well. So there's a lot of bush medicine, and there's still a lot. You know, many people that are around who use this use bush medicine all the time in mm. Central Australia and in the you know in the top end and all across the outback. Mm. So that's the the kind of the arid zone that we've talked about around Alice Springs and around that area. But the the tropics up up in the top end, you mentioned obviously there's Darwin, but there's Kakadu National Park, mm-hmm. which I visited. Mm-hmm. So I wonder maybe because there's a number of national parks which are just fantastic. But what's different about Kakadu, for example, compared to the area of Ayers Rock? Well, Kakadu's in the tropics. <laughs> And the, 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 I mean, just from Aboriginal culture is totally different. The languages are totally different. Even the way the languages are put together, it, up there's this line which follows the monsoon and, and above that line, the, the languages, I won't get too technical, but the languages create their meaning in a total, in a different way to all of the rest of the languages south of that monsoon line, all the way across Australia. So mm. south of there, you know, to change the meaning of a, of a verb, it's a bit like, you know, if we're going, I, you know, past, present, future, you know, doing, did, will do, you, t- you tackle something on the end of, of the verb in Aboriginal languages south of there, well, they tack things on the beginning and the end in the top end. So, yeah, the artwork is different because uh, it's a lot easier. You know, people didn't have to work as hard to get to, to you know, 
get food and things like that. So they have much more complex, much more time to to put into ceremonies and artwork and even rudimentary farming practices. Mm. So, yeah, it, it is a very and I I haven't done I have to say I have not done a lot of work in the top end. So well, most well, of my work has been done in the, you know, in the deserts and things like that. Yeah. And I would say that there's also a big difference in the type of uh, creatures in the uh, kakadu. You know, we couldn't sleep on the ground because of oh, the crocs. The crocodile. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, you have, you know, obviously the saltwater crocodiles in, in the top end and freshwater crocodiles. Now in central Australia, look, there's not a cock. You, you need to go, you know, 1100 kilometres up to Ellie to to find your first wild crocodile so where I've done most of my work it's yeah none my my husband was a ranger and he was he was actually employed at Kakadu not Kakadu Catherine Gorge Nipmaluk National Park and he used to pull saltwater crocs out of the traps so he's got some (laughs) amazing stories about uh, having to drag crocs into little tinnies into little boats and uh, put take, take them put off cro- somewhere else <laughs> take take them off and put them onto the back of the trayback uh, ute now i know ute is an australian term i think of a, a flatbed a small i don't know how to explain a, ute. a, a utility I, truck a utility like a, truck yeah mm. it's it's what were they called? like a pickup truck americans will know what a pickup truck yeah, is like so it's like a, a pickup mm. so yeah you'd have to get it you know they, they'd have to you know pull them out of the croc trap and wrap duct tape. They duct tape them. Yeah, duct tape is great for everything, including crocs, <laughs> and, yeah, put them onto the – and then they'd often have to – because they'd take them to a crocodile farm and the croc, they'd ring the crocodile farm up and the crocodile farm was just up in Darwin, which is about 300 k's north, and they'd meet them halfway and do a you know, croc swap and, you know, they'd give, give them the croc and off they go. But often they'd have to camps, camp, and you know, in a swag. Yeah, with the croc in the van. <laughs> with the croc in the – yeah, the croc on the back of the at the flat aluminium tray rolling, doing death rolls all night and growling and barking and, yeah, he's got funny yeah, – heaps of funny ranger stories. So. Uh-huh, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, so, I mean, and obviously the crocs are not a laughing matter in different places in Australia. Oh, they are to be taken seriously. No. But, but it is – I think it's important to talk about uh, the potential dangers of Australia. So a lot of people think about – snakes or spiders like if we're talking about the area where you were working in the arid zone but also you know being out in the middle of nowhere on your own or fire or flood or you know so what is myth about dangers of Australia and what is the reality? (laughs) I've been so looking forward to answering this question. Right the biggest two biggest myths are snakes and spiders. No just no like what can I say? They are so overrated. In in so my job as an archaeologist is to do field surveys. So I get to walk out, like I'll often walk up to thirty kilometers a day doing a, a survey through the bush, off tracks, not on not on tracks. I've got a GPS and off I go, and I've got to you know survey a particular area looking for you know stone tools and and um, stone quarries and burials and old hearths and old can all kinds of things. Now if I'm going to see if I'm going to run into tra- anyone's going to run into a trouble with a snake walking through grass. It's going to be me. Mm-hmm. Well, the number of snakes I've seen on the in the outback, and the same with my, my husband as a ranger. We could we could use in 20 years. He he said he's probably only encountered yeah you know, 10 snakes. 
in his work. And like I, I reckon I've encountered like in the outback when I've been doing work, probably about six snakes. They go away. Spiders are a non-event in the outback. So the big dangerous spider that everyone worries about here is the funnel web. Well, funnel webs don't, it's too dry for funnel webs. Yes, there's redbacks, but you know, no one's actually died from a redback bite. Oh, Gary, my husband has actually been bitten by a redback. He took took some aspirin, had a, an hour off work and went back to work. <laughs> well, yeah, but you, you guys sound like you're like proper Aussies and you're really hard. <laughs> yeah, but I, no, 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 no I, I'm not that. I'm, I, look, I'm, I'm the size of a 12-year-old, so I'm not actually that tough, all that big, all that scary. The thing that you have to worry about in Australia is the sun. So the, the, the sun, getting sun, getting sun, sunstroke and making sure you have enough water. So these are the real, these are the real things. Fires and floods, look, you, you need to be aware if there's a fire in, in, you know, in an area, but the, the big nasty fires are usually more on the East Coast where there's a lot more forest and not so much in, in the outback. Yes, they have, we get wildfires wildfires or bushfires here but they're usually in very remote areas and the firefighting only takes place around wherever there's some kind of you know human infrastructure that or, or you know buildings or whatever on a national park that need to be looked after but honestly it is the sun the heat mm. and in the winter time the cold in in the outback um in alice springs so many people think the outback's probably dead flat well alice springs is in the mcdonald ranges alice springs is up 600 meters which probably doesn't sound much to many people but the mountains that surround it the tallest mountains are 1500 meters high they're actually the tallest you know east of the great divide where the the, the snow the the areas that get snow on them these are the highest points on the australian continent sorry i meant to say west so it gets very cold. The coldest that we've ever had in Alice Springs that I can remember is minus 7.5 overnight. And many a time I've gone, been walking to work and it's been minus three at you know, 7.30 in the morning. So, mm, And that's um, cent- centigrade you, for people. Yeah. That, that, oh, yes, yes. Sorry, yes, that's. that's yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, as in, really, it's cold. It is, it is it's cold. cold. <laughs> it is cold. It's it's usually sunny. That's the, that's a good thing. So, you know, it might be minus three at 7.30 in the morning, but, you you know, by the time you, you go out, you know, at lunchtime or something, it's, you know, 15, 16 degrees. So, and it's, you know, usually clear blue sky. But if you come in, in come and visit in you know, say June, July, August, that's our winter. And yes, it does get cold. And as an offshoot of that, something very quirky about Alice Springs is we have a beanie festival. (laughs) Now, I don't know if most people will know what a beanie is, but I'll explain. It's one of those knitted hats that your granny might have knitted. But these, this beanie festival, these aren't your granny's hats. These are absolutely, like, if you want to buy a a knitted beanie that is like a Viking helmet, you can buy one. If you want to buy one with purple and green dreadlocks, you can buy one. They are just amazing. And we have these this festival that really captures what the, the quirky, slightly alternative outback feel of Alice Springs is like. We have a, a beanie festival on the last weekend of June every year. And they have it's such a thing that there's even a beanie festival cookbook which is one of the books I was going to recommend. 
Beanie Festival. Got it's, it's got its own website. So just look up the Alice Springs Beanie Festival. It's got a Facebook page. Yeah, it's just it just captures what the culture, the quirky, odd culture of Alice Springs is. It is an um, odd place. I do remember going there and just going, "This is kind of a weird place." I mean, do, do, <laughs> I mean, do people like you said you lived there for a bit? I mean, it seems very transient. Is it a transient yes. place? There are, so it's very easy to get work in the NT and we have a lot of backpackers. So people, over, people who are young people who are traveling and they get a particular kind of visa. And if they want to stay in Australia longer, they can extend their visa by working in a remote area. I think you can extend it by another 18 months from memory. And so we get a lot of people young people backpacking and they'll come and spend three months working in Alice but then of course there's other there's Australians you know particularly people from Victoria and South Australia will come to Alice Springs and the Northern Territory straight out of uni in their particular profession because it's easy again it's easy to get a job so yes we do have a lot of uh, quite a lot of turnover there's a saying in Alice if you see the Todd River flow five times you're going you're never going to leave (laughs) The first year I was there had the, I think it was the highest rainfall on record. The Todd River flowed every single month. (laughs) So I spent 16 years there. Then there's a lot of people that fall in love with it, like me. And, you know, even though I moved three years ago, our eldest two children, our daughters are still living in Alice and I miss it every single day. So it gets, the country gets in your heart. That's something really special about living there. Mm, Um, And I would say, I mean, I, you know, I lived in Australia five years and also traveled there as a backpacker. And the Northern Territory really is the place that I, like, I always tell people you've got to visit the Northern Territory, I think, and and far north Queensland. I think there's a lot that's special about far north Queensland. But mm. a lot of people just go to Australia, you know, and go to Sydney or Melbourne. And I'm like, yeah, that's not, it's not everything. (laughs) Well, look, Sydney and Melbourne are, are, you know, are great. There's absolutely stunning things around Sydney and Melbourne. But, you know, I think, yeah, Alice and Uluru and Kings Canyon, you know, the West Macdonald Ranges, they're just so special. And just having that experience of camping out and looking up at the sky in wintertime, and it's honestly, it's like, Someone's laid out black velvet and they've just spilled all these diamonds and, you know, other precious stones across. It's like the most star-studded sky that you'll ever see. And I've been, like, I've been to a few other countries. I've been, I mean, I've been to Mount Everest and that was a pretty amazing sky at night as well. But nothing like, you know, being in the desert in wintertime. It's just, you can see why all the astronomers come, you know, come over here and to check out the night sky. Mm, yeah, it's a good point. I remember doing a, a night sky evening and with someone explaining about, and there's dreamings about the stars as well, aren't there? Yes, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, in the, so I speak a particular Aboriginal language, which is Aranda, and there's all kinds of, you know, stories. Probably one of the, the best known, one of the things that kind of crosses a continent is the emu in the Milky Way. But it's not the the emu, people often say, well, I can't see it because they're looking at the stars, but the emu is there in the black spaces in the Milky Way. And he, yeah, he he's all like there's a story about that emu just about all the way across the continent in all Aboriginal cultures or most Aboriginal cultures. But you, you've got to look at the black spaces. And for, for anyone who's listening, who's trying to see the emu, it's best in the, he's a wintertime thing when you can see his whole 
you know, virtually his whole body. And his head is what whitefellas call the coal sack. And the coal sack is near the, the Southern Cross, kind of at the the the, the bottom right corner and his little head is the coal sack and then if you 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 trace it down you can see his neck which is again a negative space and and right through to his his body and his feathers that's that's really cool and I definitely recommend doing that as well going on a kind of star stargazing because yeah you can just lie out in swag and have a look but it's much better to have someone explaining things to you and pointing them out Yeah. And there's a, another one, which is a, a really, like, I, I think this is one of the coolest one. We're about 150 kilometres west of Alice Springs. There's a big formation, which whitefellas call Goss Bluff, which is after an explorer. Its name in Arundo is Norala, uh, spelled T-N-O-R-A-L-A, Norala. And the story about that is there was some ladies dancing up in the Milky Way and people had people would have um you know like what a coolamon is it's like a, a little dish a wooden dish that's made out of like car that Aboriginal people would carve and they you know put food in it it's kind of like uh if you imagine it's made out of bark mm. um like the hard tree bark it's kind of curved and slightly oval shaped well people also would put babies in them as baby carries so they'd be out you know hunt you know getting food and what have you and and the baby you'd be asleep so they put the baby in the in the dish in the little coolamon well these ladies are up dancing they had a ceremony dancing in the milky way and the baby woke up and rocked and fell with the dish and um fell to the ground and went bang and that big thing called goss bluff is the baby but the scientific explanation for Goss Bluff is it's a comet crater. It is. It's a comet crater ah. that landed. You know, so it's got this same relationship between something came from space and crashed into the earth and in the dreaming story the baby came out of the Milky Way and crashed into the earth and made that thing. <laughs> and it is. It's a great big crater that you can, you can drive into cool. it. And, and we should just say another um, interesting language you used there is white fella. Oh, white fella. What a non-Aboriginal person, white person. Yeah, white what, and we, it, it we can be a woman other, as well, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. So, sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Um, this is yeah. what makes it interesting. I love hearing the language. So, yeah, we just call each other black, like white fellas and black fellas in the Northern Territory and there's no uh, kind of racial connotation, like no negative racism or anything like that. It's just a statement of, you're that and you're that. And so you go up to, you know, you go on going around to a, a Aboriginal person's house, you've got to go and see them about something. You knock on the door and someone else will answer the, the door and you'll hear them turn around and in language, in, in Aboriginal language, they'll say to someone, hey, you know, Joe, someone's here. A white fella's here to see you. And they'll go, hey, white fella, nanala. You know, something like that. I said, you know, white fella's here coming to see you. So, yeah, we just call each other white fellas and black fellas. <laughs> <laughs> and I spoke some art under then for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's so it's so great to hear this from your perspective. So we are almost out of time. So apart from Ooh. your own books, which actually we haven't really talked about your books. So tell us a bit about your own books, but also what are some other books you recommend about or set in Australia? Okay, so we, my Gary and I, my husband and I run a very well-known Outback travel website called Travel Outback Australia. It's all one word. And we've got a number of guides which are written from a local's point of view about Central Australia and, and about their 
their driving guides, as well as, you know, we've got hundreds of articles on our website. You, you can have a look at our website. I also write fantasy and I have done so for a long time under various pen names. The reason I keep that clear of, you know, because I've got my professional name and my travel writing name and then so I wanted to, I have, a, I write under pen names. I write under Cat Powers, T Powers. I write adventure, fast-paced adventure fantasy. You can look me up online. Books that I really recommend which capture the spirit, I guess the the capture the landscape and also talk a bit of like explain a little bit about what it's like to live in the outback and particularly about Aboriginal culture because I know people will be really interested in that. A couple of fiction books. There's one called Diamond Dove, so Diamond and then Dove, Mm -hmm. and that's by a a fella called Adrian Highland and it's um, H-Y-L-A-N-D. I'll say I'll we will have these in the show notes, I think. Yes. <laughs> now, he he lived in Tennant Creek, which is a t- very small town in the Northern Territory for a while, and he's got a, he's created a character who's an Aboriginal policewoman, and he writes he writes Aboriginal culture exactly as it is, and an outback a small outback town exactly as it is, and that's you know he's got a couple of books in that series. It's they you know they're obviously police procedurals, but police procedurals set in the outback. Another one which I know a lot of people probably have already read or have heard of is The Dry by Jane Harper. Again, oh, I'm glad you like that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, look, that, that captures the heat, the feeling of actually being more in, in the, the area that I live in now, but certainly that, that arid farmland, rangeland, savannah type region of Australia. It really captures what it's like to be in an Australian country, a small country town. So they're fiction. The two non-fiction that I wanted to, to recommend, both very specific to Alice Springs and give outsiders a brilliant insight into both the town and what it's like, what, what Aboriginal culture is like now in the town. One is called The Hard Light of Day. It's by Rod Moss, who's an artist, and it's all about his friendships with Aranda people in town camp, town camps. Now, town camps are uh, like Aboriginal public housing, and there's 20 of them in and around Alice Springs, and they're a very big part of the town and the, and the identity, and they're very important for Aboriginal people, obviously, as, as in terms of housing. And it shows you, but they can be quite confronting places to live and very confronting for people who you know might not have realized that you know there's over there's overcrowding and some desperate poverty and you know dysfunction in some places as well but this book gives an an amazing humanizing side and absolutely nails what it's like for people living in those places and it's in Alice Springs set in Alice Springs so Hard Light of Day by Rod Moss and then I want to I can't not talk about Iwana Chorica and Iwana Chorica is means I'm Aboriginal in Aranda and it's written by MK Turner, Margaret Kamara Turner and MK is the lady who taught me Aranda and she talks in this book all about what it's like to be an Aboriginal person, it talks about you know all the different different things that go through that you go through in life oh sorry like you know sorry business that's when someone passes away about 
kinship relations and how they just are so important for you know hold for your entire life about feel how Aboriginal people experience feelings about dreaming dream you know yeah spirituality it's just a an, an amazing book so yeah they're my four books to recommend to you that's fantastic and uh, yeah your website again travel outback australia and we'll link everything in in the show notes as well so where can people apart from that website i know you've got another one as well so where where can people find you online me probably travel outback australia is the best and then i i know i've got my little writing website but you know i am employed pretty much full-time as an archaeologist as well and obviously I want to be found through my fiction writing as Cat Powers so I hang out on Instagram a lot as Cat Writes Worlds and yeah if you want to have a chat with me on Instagram I'm always up for a chat. Brilliant well thanks so much for your time Amanda that was great. Oh thanks Diana. Cheers. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page and if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.